0: If you got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to First Peter chapter two. You access that on your phone or in your hand, however you access that. If you're not familiar with looking up scripture, we'll have most of the passages on the screen today uh, for you to look at. But we are continuing this series on these upright views of life, and uh, how do we walk through this life? How do we go day by day? How do we experience this life with an upright view? And uh, we've talked about it over the last few weeks this how easy it is just to literally walk through life with our head down and spiritually walk through our life with our head down, thinking, oh, we're defeated, or, things aren't going well. And, and God challenges to really have a positive view, a, a right view. And we have a right view of God and an upright view of life and how we see each other, how we see ourselves, how we see our circumstances, all changes. And we, we've seen this begin to play out as we've looked in 1 Peter. We talked about how this plays out with our view of what holiness is, what hope is, and how we honor one another. And last week we talked about honor and we talked about how that literally learning to honor other people is the linchpin of this series. Because here's the honest truth. If I do not have an honorable view of you and other people, then what I'm going to be called to do in the rest of this book is not going to happen. Like if I just if I if I view you as something to be used, something for my gain, something to, to try to make you diminish so that I am better, I cannot do what we're going to talk about today. I cannot do what we're going to talk about in the next few weeks. We have to have a proper view of God and holiness first and learning how to honor people before we can begin to walk this out. The best way I can describe it is this. I, uh, up until a few years ago, I was, uh, without my glasses, I was legally blind. I mean, I was like, I had 2400 vision or something like you took your glasses off, like you would just be a mass of of blurs out here. And, uh, I remember, uh, one time I lost my glasses and I had to drive home. Like I had no, like I'm like, and so it wasn't very far. It would have been farther. This is when I lived in Georgia, so I couldn't call a taxi or Uber or something. And so, uh. Like I'm trying and I'm like squinting, I'm trying to see every little thing. I don't know if that's a red mailbox or a stop sign. I'm not quite sure what it is. And uh when I finally got home and I got my extra pair of glasses and I put those put those things on, like my whole life opened back up. And uh I remember a few years ago I got LASIK and like it was like, man, my life really opened back up. Like I could wake up in the morning and see. I didn't have to squint and see what the time was. And that's what having a proper view of holiness and honoring people. So our view of God and our view of people allow us to see to move forward. And without those, we're like me trying to drive home. We're trying to distinguish what's right and what's wrong. And more often times than not, we fail. And we're like, why is this? Why is this Christian life so difficult sometimes? Why do I have a challenge in doing this? And it's because maybe we don't have the right view of holiness and of honor with other people. And so we got to Nail those down. The the clearest way I can say it is this. I cannot have an elevated view of God and a condescending view of man. I can't. If I have the right view of God and understand who God is, it is going to shape my view of other people. If I have the right view of holiness, it's going to affect my view of honoring people. I can't have one with other. I can't say, I love God, but man, this creation of his, these other people in my life, I wish I'd get away. You know, just I'm tired of them. We can't do that. That ever, we, have to, we cannot have a condescending view of anyone, any man, woman, or any person. And in the series, God is transforming my life, uh, it comes out. It's uncontainable. It has to impact other people. And I want us to know this morning that God is not about just changing your view of Him. He's not about helping you just see Him better. As we have an upright view and we see Him better, it will change our interactions with other people. And so I, I'm trying to lay this out as clear as I can this morning because the topic we're talking about this morning is not one of our naturally fun topics. It's the idea of embracing the, the concept of being submissive. I like can just feel the air suck out of the room a little bit when I say that word, right? I mean, what a horrible word. I mean, just saying it sounds bad. Submissive. Like, I mean, it's just, it's not a good word. It sounds evil in its nature and it comes across as some kind of dirty word. Even you bring it up in church, we're like, okay, it's really not what it sounds like. It's really not what it means. You know, it means something else. We try to sugarcoat it and make it sound better than it is. It's it's actually a concept that we actively fight against. You know, we don't offer classes on submissiveness. It isn't taught by leadership gurus. You're not going to want to walk into a Barnes & Noble or search Amazon and find many self-help books on becoming more submissive. That That's not there, but... This is a calling we have. Why, do, why don't we like this word? Why does it sound almost evil to our ears? And I believe it boils down to this is because we like control. We're, or better yet, we, we love control. Like we like to be in control of our life. We love praise. We love to be respected. We desire to be loved. We, lo- we search for significance. We seek out personal glory. And all these things seem opposite to being submissive. If I'm being submissive, nobody's going to notice like I'm just in the back corner hiding, you know, and waiting on somebody to tell me what to do. It's just this it's completely different idea, and this idea of of, miss, of being submissive seems completely opposite to what our culture and even sometimes what the Bible teaches. And so today I want us to spend a few moments looking at this concept as this presented here in First Peter chapter 2, and we're going to begin in verse uh, 13, so... Uh, turn there, and uh, again, this is Peter writing this book to believers to say, here's how you live in a world, have a proper view, and he lays it out here, verse 13, which is one of my least favorite verses in the Bible, and it says this, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. you got to be kidding me. What? Like, no. Like, I, when I read that verse, I'm like, what a way to start. Like, uh, and I immediately start going into... Coming up with exceptions, right? Okay, you must not admit every human institution because I can tell you some human institutions that are really bad. They're broken. They're, they marginalize people. They're unjust. And, man, I, just, I start making excuses. What about systems that actually enslave their people? Certainly I shouldn't be subject to that. Or there are systems that even kill their people. Should I be subject to that? Surely he isn't saying to be subject to to these kind of institutions. But when you actually go back and study the original wording here and the way this was written, it is actually what he's saying. And the word institution is actually better translated creation. And what he's saying is you should be subject to every institution, for the Lord's sake, to every institution created by man. Now this seems crazy. This, This institution is, you know, why? I don't like these things. Whatever your feel is about our current government system, before the election, after the election, there are things I don't like. There's parts I'm like, okay, I just I don't want any of this. And we, we come up with reasons why we don't want to live by that verse, and we justify it in our minds. Why doesn't he tell us to stand up, fight for injustice, speak for the marginalized and the minimalized? Why did not he tell us to do this? I want us to see a few things here just in this first verse that help us understand this concept. First is this. He doesn't tell us not to fight for injustice or not to speak up for the marginalized. In fact, your scripture is filled with commands to do just that. But what Peter is saying is this. You're going to do this from a position of submission instead of a position of power. He's like, yes, stand up. For those that are being marginalized, stand up for those that are experiencing injustice. But guess what? You're going to have to do it from a system often of being submission, submissive to authority rather than over, overpowering authority. The second thing that we see in just understanding this idea of submission is this He does not exclude any institution or system of man because every system and institution of man is corrupt and broken. Everyone is. I cannot find a perfect political system. I can't find a perfect political candidate. It's all broken. It's all evil. There's no perfect government. There's no perfect political party. No perfect official. There are completely no, There's no completely righteous nation or organization. Everyone that I would choose to submit to is going to have some level of corruption in it because why? They're all human institutions. We're all broken. We all have sin. Every system of man is flawed. And corrupt from our corporations even to our churches from our from our politicians to our priests we're all corrupt and if we refuse to submit to something because it's corrupt or unjust we will never submit to anything or anyone third thing that we see here in understanding this idea this concept of submission is this is submission is not agreement submitting to something does not mean I have to agree with what's going on and I think this is where we it our flaw of thought sometimes. They we think, well, if I'm submissive to them, then I have to agree with everything they say. And that's not what the Bible teaches in its entirety. Being submissive is not embracing the system. Listen to this. It is choosing to work within the system to bring about change. It's easier to break than mend, hurt than heal. Submission is only for those who are strong enough to work through the system to bring change. That's what submission is. So I don't want you to think when he says, hey, be submissive to every government institution or whatever, every any creation of man. It's not that you and I have to agree with a corrupt state. We have to agree with corrupt politicians or corrupt organizations. But it's the system we live in. And he's saying as you submit, as you learn to live in that, learn to bring change as you live as followers of Christ in the system. Come down to verse 13 and let's... See what else he says here. He says, be subject to the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or the governor as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. And verse 15 is key here. It says this, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. I'm starting to like this verse a little bit better. All right, because I know some foolish people. I pray that sometimes I am not the foolish woman. I'm like, all right, God, if by me being submissive, I can like show people that they're ignorant and foolish. All right, maybe I'm in for this. And this is what he says here. This is the will of God. This was God's plan all along. This wasn't plan B. Living in submission is something not that we might do one day. It's actually how we live every day. Look at the example of Jesus. Jesus showed up the time in history when the Jewish nation, the Israeli nation, was under uh, Roman occupation, they were basically—they had invaded. They were under occupation, and so Jesus did not show up and immediately start calling for a rebellion and a revolution. He didn't start to incite, you know, riots against the government. He didn't start speaking in Caesar and Pilate and calling for their overthrow. What did he do? He actually lived his life as Christ. Underneath that authority. Now that seems insane. This is God in the flesh. The most powerful man that has ever lived and ever will live. And yet he comes and lives under the authority of the Roman government. He walks through his life. He does the entirety of his ministry underneath an occupying, unjust government. That's like if he showed up today, we'd be like, all right, fix everything in our nation. We we would start giving him our list. And I'm sure that's exactly what the Jews did. That's why many of them challenged to believe him as Messiah. But he came and he lived under authority in submission even unto death. Think about that. This most powerful man lived under submission and even allowed this nation to put him to death. So that by being who he was in submission, he can make the most impact. Just coming and blowing things up and trying to change the environment. There's a lot of people that can do that, but the most powerful person in all the universe came and lived underneath someone else's authority by choice and changed the world. That's the power of submission. And this is how he did what it says here. He put to silence the ignorance ignorance of foolish people. The least effective way to point out the foolishness of others is simply by shouting it out. Why don't we see that on Facebook all the time. and you know, we just, you know, post this article and, like, we tag people that we want to read. You know, you should read this article. You're like, it'll change your mind. Like, here's the thing we love to do. We love to argue, don't we? I mean, we, we love to kind of get into the, I, I'll be very honest. I used to love to argue as much as the next person, if not more, in high school, Like, this is the nerdy part of me, Uh, and there's a lot of that. Like, I I was on the debate team, and I was good. Like, we won our state. I was the state champion in debate my junior and senior year, and I loved to argue with people. But can I tell you, after doing that for much of my high school, here's what I learned, even in those kind of arguments, arguments rarely, if ever, change anybody's mind. We just sit here and we scream at each other, and we start... Here's my point of view. Here's your point of view. And we just start going back and forth, back and forth. While you're yelling at me, I'm figuring what I'm going to yell back at you. And we just start arguing back and forth. And arguing is not going to change things. It's futile. But what does show the foolishness of ignorant people and those that are ignorant of God's goodness is when we live under their rules, but in a way completely contrary to their priorities and principles. We can live under their rules, but live in a way completely different to their priorities and principles. The biggest impact you can make is not by resisting authority, but by existing as godly individuals under authority. And that's hard for us. That's hard. That's not natural. And this is why Peter takes us to verse 16. Look what he says next. He says, as you do this, then live as people who are free. Not just using your freedom as a cover-up, Evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. I I want you to see here that submission and freedom go hand in hand. And we don't think that. We think if I submit, I'm giving up all my freedom, but it's really two sides of the same coin. As I submit, I I really am choosing to live under somebody's authority. I really have still every freedom to express how I think and what my thoughts are. We will always be under some authority, some corrupt authority. And we can always choose to live as free people. Maybe not free from from evil, but we can choose to not repay evil with evil. We can choose to live as servants of God. No matter who you are submitting to, I want you to hear this. Even though you're living under their authority, you never have to submit your mind, your, your will, or your conscience to anyone other than God. And that's what living in freedom is. My actions, my ability to make choices, my social standing, the perceptions that people have of me, they may all be controlled at some level by others. But as a servant of God, my knowledge of truth, my desire to live righteously, my hope for good to come into people's lives can never be controlled. That's honestly what we try to do as a church. Part of our our vision as a church is to find places the gospel is not and go interject ourselves there. It's not to find the light places and go hide in those. It's to find the dark places and bring light. And to do that, sometimes we have to move under somebody else's authority. But it doesn't mean I have to change the way I act, the way I think, and the way my conscious responds. It does mean that I may live under their rules, but I am living my life in their setting. The truth is this, is that the vast majority of Christian history and even the Jewish heritage that our faith has grown out of has been most experienced underneath captivity or authority of someone else. The vast history of Christianity in Jewish has not been as free people. It's been as the minority culture. It's been as not, not the primary influence in culture, but the second, third, or fourth influence in court- culture. And actually some of the worst history we have as a faith is when we were the dominant power position. And when we tried to you know, Im- export that and to put it on other people with power instead of humility. The times when we've been most effective is understanding that we thrive by submitting in a minority culture. I'll be honest, I'm not one who's looking at our culture today and seeing the demise of Christianity. I'm actually looking at our culture and I'm seeing how we're actually moving toward an opportunity for the followers of Christ to actually live out the beauty of the gospel. As our culture seems to move away from the, the truths of Christ and the truths of God, I actually see it as an opportunity to shine brighter and to live under a system where we make more of a difference. An opportunity not to fight for religious freedoms, but instead to submit and live out the righteousness of God no matter what cultural freedoms we are afforded. Our goal as followers of Christ is to f- fight for what not fight for what we have lost, but to fight for those that are lost. That's a big change, a big shift. We start saying, "These are the, my religious rights are being taken away. Guess what? They were taken away most of Christian history. But what has never changed is our desire to see those who are lost and without hope and to live a life and speak the truth in front of them in such a way that it makes a difference. So how do we do this? This is a, this is a tough passage. Submit to every human institution. You know, living away under authority is show foolishness. This is God's will. Like we, like these commands. Like, like, okay, do I just have to grin and bear it? Do I just have to? I like, just change my mindset and be like, okay, I'm, I can't be a leader. I can't do this. I need to just submit to everything, and maybe God one day will allow me to speak truth. That's not what this is saying. And what He does here, at the end of this chapter, in verse 22 and 23. Is he shows us the most incredible example of this, and it's Jesus. Look at verse 22 and 23. It says this He, talking about Jesus, committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So I want to finish our time today talking about what it means to live as a minority culture. What does it mean to live? From a spiritual perspective, as a minority culture, Jesus was the ultimate example of what it means to live in submission, but yet influence as the minority. Think about it. There were no other Christians when Jesus was around. Like, he was the first. Like, he wasn't just different, it's something nobody had ever seen. What he was claiming to be was something nobody had ever experienced. And so, he was not just a minority, he was like the ultimate minority culture. And maybe you've experienced this at some point in your life. Like you've shown up to a place. You've gone places where you just feel out of place. You feel left out. You feel completely different. And those are actually our our first instinct is to like run away from those. When what Jesus did here is as the ultimate minority, he stepped in to that. He lived in that. When you start to get most comfortable, maybe it's when God is actually putting you in an opportunity to use you the most. And let's see what he did here. First, it says that he committed no sin. There was no deceit found in his mouth. So the first thing that we need to do as followers of Christ to live under submission as a minority culture is defeat the desire to be deceitful. You've got to defeat deceit. The temptation to fight fire with fire can sometimes be overwhelming. If someone's going to lie about me and diminish me, then I'm going to do the same to them. Every time there's a political change in our government, you see one side is... Yelling about the other side when they were in power, they did this. And what happens as soon as they get in power? They start doing the exact same things. Like, we're going to show you how it feels. That's what our life is like. When when I finally get in a position of power, I exert pain on other people to show them what I felt like. You know what that is? That's insanity. Because what's going to happen when it comes back? They're going to do the same thing. It's this cycle of never never-ending deceit and harm. Deceit means this. It is our goal to use trickery and misrepresent the truth. Instead of submitting to authority, we do everything we can to make it look bad. We bend the truth. We tell only our side of the story. We make excuses for ourselves. And while we don't give others any leeway at all, we give ourselves a ton of leeway. This is not the calling we have. Instead, here's our calling. We should speak with forthrightness and truthfulness, not with deceit. Because there was no lie in his, in his mouth. So speak with forthrightness and truthfulness. Speak the truth and speak it directly. There's absolutely nothing wrong with calling out evil. not what being submissive is. It's not keeping your mouth shut. But it's speaking truth and truth only. And speaking it forthrightly, speaking it directly. So when I have a problem... But somebody hears me, not what I do. I don't go and talk to somebody else about that person. I don't undermine them. I don't cut their legs out for under. I go to them. And I speak truth. I don't make it, I don't bend the truth and make me look better. I just speak the truth. That's what defeating deceit is. But then it says, you know, only did that, but he says in verse 23, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And so we have to resist the urge to revile the word Revile here means to criticize with an angry and an abusive manner. It's the idea that when someone speaks evil against us, I'm going to speak it back to them twofold, threefold, ten times. You make fun of me, I'm going to make fun of you. I'm not going to actually just make fun of you. I'm going to make fun of you, your mama, and your whole family. Whatever I can do to bring you pain with my words, I'm going to do. Katie and I were in H&M the other day shopping behind some things for our trip, and there were two ladies that both had to be in their 40s. At the counter, they both happened to come to the counter at the same time. And uh, even the guy at the counter didn't know who got there first. Well, they started arguing. Like, no, I was here first. And they were like, you know, shoving their stuff out of the way and putting somebody else's there. Shove it, put it. And then, like, they just started screaming at each other in the middle of the store. It's a Monday afternoon. I'm like, really? Like, what, is this how we're spending our day? And uh, I mean, they, you could tell, like, they'd yell at each other and then they'd stop and they were thinking of things to say. And uh, one lady, she came up with a good one. She was like, fatty? I'm like, like, that's it? And then they were like, you hag? And I'm like, my gosh. Like, it's just, they were just fighting each other back and forth and reviling one another. And I was like, this is not life. And, you know, this is such an easy trap to fall into. And it's more subtle than we realize because you're like, okay, you know, I'm not going to, I wouldn't do that at the H&M Register. Well, you may not say it out loud, but you may... (laughs) Or you may like not say it to them, but you're going to say it to the person that you're with. You're going to cut them down. You know that the most deadly attacks are sneak attacks when people aren't expecting it? Sometimes nobody even knows it. The person doesn't even know it, but you've been cutting them down behind their back for years to other people, been reviling them. You've been abusing them with the words that you speak to them and even the words you speak to other people about them. And this is not our calling. Instead, we are to respond in integrity and humility. And to live our lives as we can, to have as much integrity as we can, but not then to be proud about that, but to live in humility. Like I look back at these ladies, I'm like, it would have just been five minutes and say, you go first. And then all of a sudden the power, think about that, submitting to someone else. Saying, okay, maybe I was here first, but I'm going to let you go. Then I'm not calling her an old hag and she's not calling me fatty. Then maybe I have a chance to speak truth into her life. There's no way those two people then are going to have any kind of meaningful conversation. When you choose to resist the urge to revile people, You have an opportunity to speak humbly with integrity into people's lives. Look at the last thing, verse 23. It says, Then when he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He's talking about God there. In our world, sometimes the threat of war or the threat of attack is often enough to make us respond. We suspend the rules. We determine what is best for us when we see a threat coming our way. When things in our own lives are threatened, we do the same thing. We see something happening, some change that's coming down in our lives, some, some threat that we see, and we, all we do is we fight for security. Something threatens the security and safety of you or your family, and you start dropping defensive bombs all around yourself to protect yourself. Instead of submitting, we try to find ways to make others submit to our will. And threats eventually do nothing but enslave other people. And here's where we get to our mind and our thinking. I'm going to enslave you before you can enslave me. I'm going to put myself in a position of power over you before I allow you to get in a position of power over me. And there's no end to that war. There's no end to that. Because someone will always fail. But when we choose to live in submission, even when we have been attacked, even when we are suffering, it says Jesus did not threaten. He chose to live his character, his moral, his life in that new environment. And you go, man, this is completely countercultural. Yes, it is. And that's what Christ called us to be. He didn't call us to be all powerful, He didn't call us to, to be the rulers of nations. He called us to be servants of God and live out the will of God. And you and I can overcome threats and wanting to turn from the trap of threats when we do this, when we live with goodness and respect. When we try to respond to people to spread goodness as we respect others. So my question as we end today is this. Will you embrace this call to submission? This is a tough call. Our, our nature. You're going to walk out of here. Something's going to happen. Somebody's going to try to get onto the subway before you, and you're going to be like... I got the elbow. You know, it's coming. Like, you're just, you're immediately, like, you see what people are doing wrong, and you're like, I want to point out to you what's wrong. You want to put your, like, it's so against our nature. Would you embrace the idea that submission is the most effective way to show the foolishness of others? Not to point it out and yell at them. Submit. Speak truth. Would you embrace the idea that submission isn't captivity, that's actually freedom? I don't have to worry about what government I'm living under, what station in life I am right now. I can live as a follower of Christ no matter where I am. Would you embrace the example of Jesus and defeat deceit, resist reviling, and turn from threatening? You may say, okay, I'm going to try that. I want to hear you I tell you this morning. If you just try it, you're going to fail. I fail. We all fail. Only way we can do this is through the transformative work of Christ in our life. Verse 24 ends and says this. He himself bore our sins in the body on the tree that we might what? Die to sin and live to righteousness. Die to sin. Live to righteousness. You want to see this change? You want to be able to have peace even when you hate the authority that you're living under? Die to sin. Live in righteousness. It's not about changing the circumstance. It's about you changing your perspective. In that circumstance. And that's what true submission is. Ready to go.